Welcome into the Blue Jay Beat Podcast. I'm Matt DeMarinas, uh, joined tonight by Jacob Badilla. We're going to break down uh, Creighton's 76-68 win over Iowa State in the Sweet 16 of the Women's Basketball NCAA Tournament. Um, yeah, man, the Jays just keep rolling on. This little improbable March run continues. Uh so the Jays have earned an Elite Eight date with South Carolina, the prohibitive favorite in the tournament and the number one team in the country from day one until now. They have not relinquished it at all at any point. Um, Jacob, how did the Jays get it done tonight? Like what 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 are the couple things that stand out to you in terms of how they got away from Iowa State and how they kept them at arm's length uh, basically the whole second half? Uh, the, the first thing, it's just how – how hard they fought on defense, how they scrapped all game long. Because uh, honestly, like we were talking halftime, they, they played pretty poorly <laughs> at halftime. They didn't take care of the ball. They weren't finishing inside. They gave up some big offensive rebounds that hurt. Uh, and yet somehow they found themselves in a 30 all tie at, at halftime. And then in the second half, they just kind of started knocking down some shots, built a little bit of a lead. And then they were able to kind of hold on to it and finish out the game with some free throw shooting. So um, it, it really is a credit to them for staying the course, sticking with it and continuing to fight until shots. Uh, I mean, the shots from three fell all game, but they finally got uh, some layups going uh, in the second half and um, just did what they needed to, to, to hold on against a really good opponent. Yeah. I thought, I think, Creighton's diversity offensively in the second half was a big key. Like you said, they were, I think they were four for 13 in the first half on layups. So they were really having a tough time finishing at the rim. Obviously they hit five threes in the first half and, you know, Morgan Molly uh, really got heated up. You saw she really got into a rhythm offensively down the stretch of the second quarter. I think she scored 14 of Creighton's last 15 points to end the half. Um and that got the Jays even, you know, so it got them some at least at least at least let them know going in that someone was someone was on. They could play through someone to start the third quarter. Um, well, I guess they couldn't start the third quarter that way, but they could play through someone. They had confidence that someone had their offensive game going. And that gives some, the rest of the team, I think, a little bit of confidence when they're not searching for someone to heat up a little bit, you know. Um but I think you saw – I don't know. I, I don't know what it did to Iowa State's defense because it was pretty spaced out the whole first half. Creighton just wasn't finishing inside. Um, but I think those five threes were important in the first half because it let Iowa State know that they really have to be keyed in on the three-point line um, in the second half. And I think those those driving lanes that were there, Creighton just did a better job of finishing inside in the second half. Honestly, Iowa State started in zone to start the third quarter, which – I mean, against one of the – I mean, I don't – Iowa State does a great job scouting and preparing. That's one of the things that they're they're known for. I'm not really sure I understand starting in zone to start the second half because you're facing one of the best – it's not just one of the, the – Great doesn't dribble very much. They're a really good passing team. So I'm not sure what the zone was intended to do. I'm sure it was to try to throw some wrench into the motion, you know, because Iowa State was – you know, struggling to, uh, you know, to execute their assignments, especially down the stretch of the second quarter. But, I mean, Creighton was really picking that zone apart the first two or three possessions with a pass like they usually do. And it got Iowa State out of that. But it also got Creighton's offense going. I think they scored, you know, 13 points on the first six trips. So um, they kind of got rolling and it didn't really stop from there, honestly. So I don't know what, what – that might have been – a little bit of a mistake on Iowa State's part, but good execution to start the second half by Creighton. They got them rolling. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, the way they moved the ball, like that, they can get you back cutting uh, in man-to-man. So in zone where uh, you're not really guarding a person, uh, they're so good at finding those cracks and being in the right spot. And they read each other so well. Yep. Uh, I, I think like I, I saw some of the quotes from uh, press conference, just like yeah. – Early on uh, with the way they play, it's not pretty when they're kind of working out the kinks and sorting through and building that familiar familiarity with each other. But by this point in the season, they um, everybody knows like, all right, who's going to do what? They know where they're going to be. And um, I, I, they were a little turnover prone early. And uh, most of it was just 
uh, just a missing pass passing windows by just a yep. little bit mm-hmm. throwing it too far or um, too, too far back where the defender could get a piece of it or whatever. Um, but I mean, the, the reads weren't terrible. They just missed the passes. So even then um, that they, they were on the same page, they, they played well together and uh, mentioned they looking at now they, they finished 50% on layups, which where they started, that's actually right. a good number right. uh, kind of shows how, how they kind of settled in in the second half and started knocking down shots. And um, I, I think they had obviously Morgan Molly w- was huge in that second quarter. Cause she, they, they really couldn't get anything else going. She was the one person that I uh, was like, all right, putting this team on my back and we're going to carry, uh, going to carry us there at halftime and hit all four of her shots, couple of threes, four free throws, scored 14 of the team's 17 points in the period and playing just seven minutes and really kept them in it. And in the second half, uh, that's kind of when you saw the balance pop back up. Um, mm-hmm. Just looking in third quarter, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different players scored. Yep. And Molly scored another seven. And then Tatum Rembout got going. <laughs> the, the, first, uh, the first bucket was a little bit of luck there with a banked in three, but she came right back and uh, knocked down a contested one that was bottom of the net uh, a couple of possessions later. Uh, she scored eight in the in the third and in the fourth quarter, uh, Molly didn't score, but uh, Rembo at that point had got going and she took over and she was the one that hit most of the free throws down the stretch to, mm-hmm. to essentially seal the game. And um, Molly Mogensen had a couple uh, key buckets there as well when, when they needed some plays. Uh, and just overall, you look at the, the box score and double figures from four different players and uh, what, uh, eight total scored nine one two yeah eight total scored uh so again contributions from everybody to finish with uh 15 assists on 26 buckets shot 44 percent from three that's a that's a creighton box score it's a creighton box score um morgan molly how much of how much did you cover her in high school I, not a ton i saw her play um at an au tournament uh, that was the first time like i had seen her like who is this? Cause she, she looked different. She played different than a lot of the other girls mm. at that level. And then, so I, I knew who she was after that point. Um, I, I saw her uh, play in the state tournament um, her senior year when Crete made their run. Uh, but outside of that, that, that was pretty much it. So I guess what, what were your impressions? We'll start with, let me start with this. How did you feel like her scoring prowess would translate to the D one level? Uh, I, I thought, uh, so th- the thing that was impressive, like physically, um, just how strong she was and willing to, to use her body and carve out space. And, um, and then the fact that she could go out and step out and shoot the ball as well. Uh, so she was kind of capable of being that inside out player. And that's exactly what she's done. It's basically, basically all translated to the next level. Uh, yeah, she it really has. Big, yeah. She is big and strong enough and she's good with her a couple of those moves she had tonight were just beautiful down on the block, um, kind of the up and unders and sending the, the defender um, going one way and then coming back and finishing. Uh, and then obviously she can step out and she has such a quick trigger. Uh, and that's the thing at, at her size, the ability to kind of be a pick and pop with a four or five, whatever position she's playing at that point um, can, can step out and knock down that quick trigger three from well beyond the arc. And then she can go inside and post up if you put a smaller defender on her. So she just kind of puts you in constant, um, uh, con- constant tension trying to uh, figure out, all right, what's the best way to, to defend both parts of her game with your, with your defenders. Obviously you're going to have a post on her most times and that's tough for, for post defenders to go out and, and chase players that can shoot like she can on the perimeter. Mm-hmm. I think she's really smart too. Because teams have tried to, especially in the Big East, when there's there's more like there's more quicker, smaller defenders that can, um, you know, they could that that teams can get creative with defensively. I think she's gotten really good at, uh, you know, just understanding what a defense is trying to do to her on a given possession and attacking it, attacking the weak area of it. Like if there's a guard. Chasing her around screens, she just goes right into the post and gets position, seals, and scores. If it's a post player, you know, that's that's really being physical with her down in the block, 
you know, she'll come out and set a ball screen and then pop out for the three. You know what I mean? I think she's really, I think the, the part of her game that's allowed her to unlock that, like that microwave mode offense where she comes into the game and, and, you know, just scores like seven or eight points in a four or five minute stretch is a, she's reading the game from the bench because her and Emma play, they both have similar skill sets and they play the same position. So when she comes in the game, she kind of already knows what the defense is kind of doing from an ABC standpoint to slow down Emma. And since they both have a similar skill set, um, she can kind of like come in fresh and already with a plan of attack. And I think the thing that's really underrated about her game, obviously the three point shooting is like, you know, the thing that tops the chart and then, you know, she can score inside, but I think the, the, the underrated part of her game is how intelligent she is. I mean, she really knows how to, how to exploit a defense's weak area based on how they're guarding her. And she is certainly not shy in the big moments. And no. we, saw, we saw that tonight. And honestly, you go back to that UConn road game. The, the shots didn't quite fall at the, at the rate they needed to uh, right. for Creighton to win that game. But, but she, she was the shy. one player on that yeah. team that was like capable of creating space and getting her shot off and wasn't shy about letting it fly. You, you can see like UConn's pressure really impacted a, a, a lot of, the, the players on the team, but um, what Morgan was like four for 12 from three in that game or something like that. Yeah. Like, four for 12, four off, for 13. Yeah. Yeah. She got off plenty of looks and Creighton honestly needed her to take those. If they had gone down. They might've been able to, to stay in that game a, a little bit, a little bit later in, but uh, yeah, she, she's a special player. I'm looking forward to seeing kind of how the rest of her uh, career plays out. Cause she's going to score a lot of points in a Creighton uniform. <laughs> yes, she certainly is. I think, uh, I don't know, man. It's just, it's interesting because there's something to be said for her accepting that role too. Oh yeah. Cause she's a, she's an absolute bucket. There's no question about it, but Creighton gets caught up in like a numbers game, right? Cause you can only have five on the floor at one time. And um, you could probably argue that like, you know, she's definitely the one of the top five players on the team in terms of a talent skill and production standpoint. But also Creighton's not like, you know, Creighton tries to match up and be a little bit creative. And there's also a value in her coming off the bench and, you know, being able to get going against a set, another, another team's second rotation. You know what I mean? There's value in, in that. So I think it's cool the way she's embraced that and hasn't really, um, you know, let it be uh, something where like she tries to make it an us versus or me versus one of my teammates kind of thing. I think it's the reason they've been successful. Yeah, uh, for sure. And just Rob Anderson had the stat, just kind of crazy to think about. Uh, Creighton's last 23 games, they've been led in scoring by a sophomore. Yeah. Uh, obviously, yes. Molly is a big part of that, but Emma Ronsick, uh, Molly Mogensen, Allie Jensen, like that. Or uh, uh, Lauren Jensen. Yeah, Lauren Jensen. Sorry. Uh, uh, blast, blast from the past there. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just kind of crazy to think about this team. First, first elite eight ever, and they're doing it with a bunch of sophomores. Uh, but also, uh, th- with that being said, I think that we need to kind of move on and give credit to the, the team's veterans. For, yeah, no, I, I yeah, mean, for they, sure. Oh, well, let's they, just to support your point, though, is like six of their top seven scorers. The thing that's crazy about this run is six of their top seven scorers are coming back next year. Yeah. So, like, that's the part that's that's kind of like, <laughs> I don't know, man. It's hard to say an elite eight run is like house money or like the tip of the iceberg, but it's just like, it, it it's crazy. Cause this is a really young team. I'm not sure this was supposed to be the team that took off or the team that broke through. And it's weird how that just happens sometimes, you know? Well, especially coming off of last year and everything that that program went through. With yes. all the injuries and illnesses. Just the worst luck. Yeah. 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 Just everything that could have gone wrong last year basically did. And to bounce back a year later and do something that no basketball program at that university has done this far. How crazy is that? Like, obviously, we go nuts for, for the men making the uh, the Sweet 16 last year. And then Landon and his crew just like, all right, bet. We're up next. And <laughs> just went up and 
one up them <laughs> in in in, yeah. in, uh, in true road environments too like yeah at iowa yeah. like yeah fourteen thousand people oh. right mac yeah. ball's back in your court here next year <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they've officially raised the bar and I they're, think still, they're still trying to raise that bar too yeah i think it's a good pressure to apply right if you're all just like kind of competing with each other um yeah. it's funny because on the pod we were on the pod we just recorded with on screen the scrub with chev and um <laughs> we were like, we said if uh, if Creighton wins out the weekend and beats South Carolina to go to the Final Four, uh, Flan gets the CHI next year. Like that's that's <laughs> the that's the trade off. So we put that in motion. We'll see what happens there. Um, but yeah, uh, I, you're 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 right. On your you you mentioned earlier, we got to talk about the seniors because we got to talk about the seniors. I mean, Tatum Rimbaud, seventeen points in the second half. Um, I think she had four assists tonight. So she's at 194 assists on the season. That's second most in a single season in Creighton history. And she, don't, I don't think she'd had ever had a hundred in any year of her career. Wow. You know what I'm saying? So she's yeah. finally healthy. She's finally like, you know, uh, had, had a season where she can just get through it, play all these games, play big minutes. Um, she's taking care of her body and she's having by far, the best year of her career and just tapping into all that potential that she had as a young player. Um, so yeah, only Tanya, only Tanya Warren who has her Jersey retired at Sokol um, hanging up next to Connie Yori's only, only Tanya, Tanya Warren has had more assists in a single season than Tatum Rimbaud has had this season. Um, so 17 points in the second half for Tatum uh, and then Peyton Brodsky, like, yeah. you know, Go, even go back to the Iowa game. She got yeah. the offense started in that one with a couple big threes. She missed her first one. They get an offensive rebound. She catches it right back. Bang. You know what I mean? Like yep. super confident, super like purposeful. She's like, I'm not ready to go home today kind of mentality. And it happened again tonight. Like offense wasn't easy to come by. Both teams looked super tight. And then here comes Peyton, like a senior, like that, that, a motivated senior. Yeah. That's like, I'm not here to, I didn't come to Greensboro to just, come to Greensboro. I'm not just happy making a sweet 16. This isn't just house money for me. Like I'm here to play as long as I possibly can. I know that there's no tomorrow if these 40 minutes don't go well. So I'm going to do everything I can to, you know, put my team in position to win. And she got that offense jump started today. She got them into the game. She kept them within reach until Morgan Molly heated up and got them tied at halftime. And then down the stretch of the game, when, Iowa State had gone on a run. They'd cut it to four. Um, they were getting to the rim. They were scoring. They were putting pressure on Creighton and, and, you know, making it a game late. And she comes up with two huge defensive plays. One block shot on a perfect vertical wall on the, on ironically, the Big 12 or coincidentally, the Big 12 defensive player of the year. She blocks her shot inside. In, in, in a two on one, like fast break, yeah, fast yeah. break situation. Like that was a really difficult play to make. And she timed it perfectly. For sure. And, it, and they showed the replay. It was super clean vertical wall. We're not being homers. Like there was no foul. There was no contact there. She, she had her hands up until the last minute. Then she got the ball, all ball. And then, you know, uh, coming out of after, you know, Creighton hits two free throws to go back up five, right? Tatum Rimbaud again, hits two free throws to put Creighton up five. And then Iowa state calls the timeout to advance it. Um, their last one. Yeah. Their last one to advance it. Right. And then, Peyton basically erases it by picking off the inbounds pass that yeah. they were trying to get an easy two real quick two out of it. And she picks that thing off and just huge plays by the seniors in the second half. Like, well, just, and, I mean, yeah, and you talk about getting them started like that, that first bucket, she hit little get the paint, turn around, fade away jumper. Like texted you, like after the first couple of minutes, like up, this is a plat view Peyton. Like that's like Peyton was dropping like 20 a game in high school. She was getting buckets all over the place. She had no conscience. She'd, let it fly from anywhere. And that's kind of, she hasn't quite developed into that kind of player throughout her career. Like we talked about, she's kind of, kind of took a winding road to find the, the way that she could best make an impact for, for this program. And she's had a really good year this year as kind of the utility player. And then here she is uh, in their biggest games and a bit of that old uh, like bucket getter is coming back out of her. And she went and hit some tough shots uh, like that. That three wasn't, didn't have a lot of time and space on that three either. She just kind of caught it and let that thing go. So, um, yeah, great job from her to get started. And like you said, she finished it out. And then Tatum as well. I mentioned that got that, that banked in that three in the third quarter, uh, which uh, kind of got her going, though, because like I said, she knocked down another one uh, right after that. That was a, a tough shot. 
finished three of six from three, hit both of her shots inside the arc and missed a couple of free throws down the stretch, but still six of eight to close it out, uh, which is above her season shooting percentage. Uh, four assists, just two turnovers in 32 minutes. So, yeah, phenomenal games, finished with 19 points. Phenomenal games from both uh, both those uh, veterans for sure. Yeah, if you're getting three threes from Tatum, you're living you're living pretty yeah, yeah. good. Like Creighton's going to be really hard to beat if Tatum's hitting three threes because teams well, teams usually give her that. That's usually what they're yeah. trying to the, like. If we're going to give up something, you know, we'll let Tatum shoot. Um, you got five of eleven from Tatum and Peyton there. Yes, like yes. It, it, and that's a crazy. Like we're talking about that. They got two points from Emma Ronsick. Yeah, she, she, and they won. Jacob. She didn't play in the fourth quarter. No. She didn't play I, a I single noticed, second in the fourth quarter. I, I noticed They're that all as Big well. East player. Like, yeah, yeah she, I was like, wow, I, I haven't seen Emma for a while. And it's like, no, she, she, she sat the last 13 minutes of the game. Yeah. Because Peyton was playing so well and Flan stuck with her. Yeah. It was, yeah, that's, that's the matchup they went with. Um, but yeah, like uh, to your point about Peyton, though, like she was a bucket in high school, right? And I know early in her career, she was super frustrated that it wasn't coming as you know, as quickly and easily as it did um, in high school. Like, you know, first of all, you're playing behind, like, Olivia Elder and um, Jalen Agnew, Audrey Faber, like, Temi Sarda. So, like, you kind of got to wait your turn a little bit, and then the offense isn't very consistent when you do get going. Like, you'll have a game where you score 10, and then, it, you know, you won't get that in a little in, for a few games, and it's kind of frustrating, right? But I think this year, and I wrote about it in December, um, and I retweeted it again tonight because it just applies. Like she just came in for some reason this year. It just like the light bulb went off that she realized if I do like forget A, B and C, you know what I mean? If I just do like, you know, D, E, F, you know, if I pass, if I make, if I, if I set screens, if I rebound, if I defend, if I, you know, if I make cuts, if I get to the basket, if I, you know, just, play team ball and let the system work. Um, I can affect winning. Right. And that's kind of, that was kind of her mentality. She just decided, you know, all of a sudden she just became really good at impacting winning and you could see it. Like she was just making winning plays all over the place, hustle plays, winning 50, 50 balls, defensive rebounding, um, reading offenses. Like, you know, if a player drives baseline, where's their outlet and then cutting off that window and picking off, she made, multiple plays like that and and you see it tonight like all those winning plays came out and I think the when you're making winning plays like that the offense like you don't think about it as much and it just comes freely and I think that's why she's able to score I think she said she had 13 against Iowa and 13 again tonight right and those are two those are her season highs and they've come in the last two games in the NCAA tournament in two of their biggest games two of the biggest games she's ever played in she scored her season highs in you know this year so I think the offense is coming as a byproduct of her just kind of focusing on the winning plays and the other way she can impact the game and the rest of it. She, and it doesn't like that way. She doesn't, she doesn't get, it doesn't consume her mind. It just comes, she's just out there playing. She's out there hooping, you know? Yeah. And again, that's, that's part of why this team is so successful. You mentioned uh, Molly accepting that, that six, uh, six player role. Uh, with with no issues and coming in and doing her thing, uh, you talk about Peyton who settled into that role and um, has kind of become that utility player. Completely changed her game to to help the team and find a way to to contribute. And uh, at Ronsick again, your your team's best players watching from the bench, and I'm sure they had had a video camera on there. She would have been over there going crazy cheering on. Uh, her, her teammates as they knock down those shots. So that's that's a big part of what uh, what Flan has cultivated. You don't, and it's happened before too. Because I don't know if yeah. you remember, but she sat she sat most of the second half against Arkansas too. Emma yeah. did. So yeah. it's like the, Flan kind of like just feels this out in games, and then he just rides a rotation that's working, yeah. and it doesn't cause drama. Yeah, it's well, crazy. And, and you don't play this. You can't play this style of basketball the way that they do while having egos like it has to be everybody for each other like that's literally what the offense is it's everybody making plays for everybody else um and you've got to have the personalities to match to to fit into that 
Uh, and credit to Coach Flan and his staff for identifying players that fit so well into what he wanted to do. He had a vision and went out and got players that he knew could, would be willing to and capable of executing it. Yeah, I mean, honestly, when you watch this offense, and I don't know how many, I don't know how familiar you are with this team in particular because you have a lot on your plate throughout a basketball season. Um, you know, covering the Huskers, covering high school, and then trying to follow. But like, what do you what what do you feel like makes this offense so difficult to uh, to simulate? Like, that's one of their advantages in a tournament like this. Is like teams don't see this style of play a whole lot, where it's kind of inverted, and yeah. all five players are dangerous, and the floor is spaced out, and you got to really make sure you're keying in on certain matchups and tendencies. And, like, yeah. And, and that's like what it is. All of that? Well, and that's what it is. Uh, it's you have you can't relax. Everybody is a threat on any given play because you've got you've got players running off the of screens on both sides of the floor. You've got one person's going to curl, one person's going to flare. Um, you're going to run off a of screen and set another screen for somebody else. And like I mentioned earlier, they they've just established the kind of chemistry to where they're on the same page. And they know where the opportunities are going to be, where the openings are going to be. All they have to do is read the way the defender uh, plays it, and, and then they know how to counter. And uh, most of the time, the passer and the cutter or the popper or whatever action it is, they're on the same page. And so that, that it really is what it is. It, it tests everybody that is on the floor at all times because at any point, any of those five players could be the target of that particular set or, or that trip down the floor. So um, it, it is different than a lot of other teams you see just with the amount of off-ball movement and off-ball screens. Um, they don't run a ton of pick and roll, where, which is a pretty common play type, obviously, in basketball now. They don't run a ton of straight uh, post-ups. A lot of their post-ups are um, kind of within the flow of what else they do. They get mismatches and they get switches uh, by the off-ball screens. And then, like you said, Morgan will go sit her defender down on the block and score, or Emma will take advantage of a smaller defender and go score. Um, so that's what it is. It's just everybody constantly moving and on the same page. And it's just so hard to defend. Uh, you have to be locked in the entire possession or you're going to get burned. Yeah, and I think, you know, I had this conversation with um... – Carly Tritz, now Carly Berger, who is at home taking care of her youngin. Um, yeah, side note, how what kind of a luxury is it to to, to lose <laughs> one of your assistant coaches? And then, oh, oh, we'll just, we'll just promote the, Connie yeah. Yori. <laughs> like, you've yeah. got a Hall of Fame level coach uh, filling in because uh, one, one of your assistants uh, had to go, <laughs> go off, have her baby. So, uh, like I said, I tweeted after the game, credit, uh, like, Little little Luke uh, Berger does not know a world in which Creighton uh, Creighton women's basketball team has lost a game. So pretty sure pretty he's. Impressive. I'm pretty sure he's gotten camera time for all three of these wins too <laughs> so far. So um, I think he's got. Honestly, he might have gotten. He, I, he might have gotten more camera time for the NCAA tournament than Carly did as a player. I, I, all, all I'm saying is, if they if they <laughs> win the if they go all the way, they win this thing. Get that baby <laughs> a statue. All right, he's going on center out there on campus, <laughs> just like right at the entrance of DJ, like right in between the Ruth yeah. and Sokol. Yeah, um, not Carly. Like Carly, you're awesome. I, no, I just the babe. Yeah, the babe. No, yeah. Just Luke. No, just Luke. Luke. Yeah, yeah. Because um, they lost games with Carly. They had not lost any games with Luke. <laughs> Luke doesn't know a world where Jay's lose. <laughs> um, yeah, but anyway, I I remember having a conversation with 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 Carly a couple of years ago. Um, I can't remember five or five years ago or so. And I was just like, gosh, man, you know, you guys are always playing really good basketball at the end of the year, you know, like the end, like whenever February and March roll around, it always feels like that Flans teams are kind of at their best. Everything starts clicking. And I asked her why she thinks that is, if there's a common thread and she feels like it's the motion offense. Like she feels like there's so much, there's so much, it's so continuity based that more the more you do it, the better it gets. And so it's never going to look – it's never going to look in November the way it looks in January. It's never going to look in January the way it looks in March. So, like, that's what she feels like is a really big key to the whole thing is just the constant 
repetition of that offense and the continuity that all the players get with it, they just learn how to play with each other because of the little intricacies that go along with it. Like you talked about earlier, all the screens, all the reading of um, defenders and things like that. And just, it's really free flowing, but it allows you to be, it allows you to make the decision as a player. And the more you play with certain rotations and certain players, you understand tendencies and you know, their strengths and weaknesses. So you just, you become familiar with each other. And I think, you know, she thinks that's a big reason why this, why, why Flans teams are usually always better at the end of the year than they are at the beginning is because the continuity of the motion offense kind of gets better as the year goes on. Yeah. And that's kind of, uh, heck, maybe that's, maybe that was the quote from you that I had saw, but that's kind of what I was referencing earlier. Just, uh, and that goes into my point with what makes them so difficult to defend. Um, it's kind of all, all coming together. Things, clicked at the right time they clicked at a big enough level to to where they've been able to make this run now uh let's see what we got for questions um before we maybe preview a little bit of south carolina um uh first one is from our friend garrett uh he said how drunk can i get in one night in greens boogie uh, I mean, shout, you know, out, shout out to him for making the trip. Man, yeah, for that. sure. A lot of Jays fans got out there. That's awesome to see. I think more fans went to Greensboro than went to DJ Soka Arena this year for some <laughs> fucking reason, but <laughs> beside the point. Um, yeah, well, the, the, the beauty of that question is he's actually got two nights. So, you know, that's the whole, the whole, the whole thing about winning your first uh, game of a tournament, you know, and like, I know it's the third game of the tournament, but it's kind of like you break it down into four team tournaments if you do. So it's like one yeah. weekend, two weekends. So the beauty about winning your first game is like you get like an extended stay all the way through the end of it, no matter what happens on the last day. <laughs> so you can party pretty hard these next two nights, honestly. So the, the sky's the limit on that. I don't know. Um, hopefully he survives to Sunday. That's for sure. Right. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's the just make that the goal and then go from there. Maybe. Yeah. Just, yeah, just make sure he makes it to, uh, uh, to Sunday and we get a get to see him there and cheering him on. Just don't pace yourself. Just make sure you can uh, you can make it to the game. How sober should he be in the arena for Sunday's game too? Like that he should be. He should make sure he's like timing that right, shouldn't he? Yeah, yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Like, make sure that you don't overdo it before game time. You got to need you there, locked in there, um, like like you were tonight. Sure. Um, John Fanta times chimes in with a question. Uh, so Creighton has had some great teams over the years. Why do you think this one has broken through to make history? Gosh, I don't know, man. Like March is weird like that sometimes. Look at, I mean, St. Peter's is a 15 C they're in the elite eight. Like it's just, you just got to make the most of the moment. Like it's not, it's not. And I'm not saying this team isn't an all time team, but. I also don't know if this team is the best version of itself yet because they're so young still. Like that's yeah, like we were saying, they're all sophomores for the most part. Yeah, so I mean, um, it, it's a lot like the men's team, may, maybe a year ahead, where you've got a couple of key veterans to kind of guide along a really young, talented core that'll be here for a couple of years. Yeah, for sure, right? So I don't know. The, th- the here's the thing about the tournament run is well, first of all. I don't want to get too like, I don't like, you know, pounding my chest over this stuff, but this team has played really good basketball all year. Like, I don't know why it's the worst kept secret or the best kept secret or whatever it is. I don't know why people didn't pay attention to it in December, January and and February. And, and why, like, you know, they're why everyone all of a sudden is like, Oh my God, what a run. It's like, this team has been playing like this. They've been a top 20 offense all season. They've been one of the most unselfish offenses all season. They've been one of the best three-point shooting teams all season. None of this is new. That's what the kind of the weird part is. Like, they've been capable of this, and they've been doing it all year, honestly. Like, the the Arkansas win right before Christmas should have, like, had everybody's antennas up. Arkansas is a really good team. Um, And the way Creighton picked them apart, I mean, just the, Arkansas was down. They were chasing a 15-point deficit in their own gym for most of that game. And 
Creighton was, and, and it's not the, just the, like the, the, the manner in which it happened. It was like the way Creighton did it. The first half, they were raining threes. And in the second half, Arkansas comes out and they're super high pressure defense. Like they're not letting Creighton get any space on the perimeter. And Creighton didn't need any timeouts. They didn't need to like talk it over. They just read the defense and saw what was going on and adjusted to it. So they started setting ball screens. They started back cutting. Um, they started picking them apart with just the pass and like getting, it was layup city in the second half. And it's like, that should have been an alarm bell to people that this isn't just like a, a talented offense. It's an intelligent offense. And when you've got intelligence mixed with the skill sets that they do on this team and the depth, I mean, I don't know how you, if you told me that they're going to match up with Colorado, Iowa and Iowa state in the NCAA tournament, uh, that's not like, those aren't, that's not a world beating gauntlet there, especially with the way Creighton plays. So I don't know, man, it's, it, the Iowa game was crazy, right? Like you shouldn't expect anyone to go in and win in that environment, but I don't know. Creighton's just tough. They got, they got the perfect blend of toughness, offensive skill, intelligence um a good mix of veterans and young talent they have good chemistry i think that's kind of the reason that they've broken through it's i don't know if it's an all i don't know if this is the version that's the all-time greatest team ever kind of thing but i think when you check off enough of those boxes that i just listed there i think that's what makes for you know enough of the recipe that allows you to to go on a run like this. Yeah. And like you said, like you mentioned, like stuff happens in March and that's likely there were a lot of people that were kind of like out on Mac a few years ago because of the lack of tournament success. And I'm like, there's a lot of randomness involved with deep tournament runs. Like, again, you mentioned St. Peter's of the 15 seed still alive. Like that, that team is like Shaheen Holloway has done a phenomenal job with that team. Like that team is playing really well. They're executing really well. He's, he's got some great stuff they're running through, but also they're hitting shots and the other teams aren't. And sometimes that happens. And what we, we've seen Creighton's opponents have not shot the ball very well at all so far. And a lot of that is credit the credit to Creighton's defense. And part of it is they just didn't make their shots. And sometimes that happens. And so every tournament deep tournament run involves a certain level of luck and things following your way otherwise you're heading home you need the combination of really good play and things falling into place in order to make a deep run and this year Creighton's put themselves in position to take advantage of some things kind of following falling in their favor and the credit to them for executing and, and outlasting these teams on the road in, in tough environments and um, I, I think this this probably gets to uh, if we want to move on to, to Rob's question, but a, a lot of it is I think their defensive uh, the way they've executed defensively, like what they've done against Caitlin Clark and Ashley Jones. I was what Clark was averaging like twenty eight a game. They held her to fifteen uh, on ridiculously low shooting percentage, and tonight Ashley Jones is a twenty a game player and she scored fourteen on three of eleven shooting. Um, so like that, like that's those are two of the best players that Creighton's seen all year. And they completely shut them down, took them out of their game, held them way below their average. Um, so great defensive effort. Like we, we, we talk so much about their offense and that's true, but um, they held Iowa state to 68% uh, or 68 points for the game uh, and under 40% shooting. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, you know, what's another part of it too. I think, well, since you just teed up Rob's question, there, let's, let's let the people know what he asked. Uh, yeah. Jason slowed down Caitlin Clark and Ashley Jones, but I mean that I guess we'll blast that in a second. But um the the point about the defense though, I think it goes to Flan's scheduling. Number one, they scrimmaged Iowa in the non-conference or like in uh end of October. So they've played against Kate and they did a pretty good job on Caitlin Clark in that scrimmage too. I've seen the box score. Um so I know, you know, they didn't they I mean she didn't go off. Uh, I think she had like 22 or something like that. Um, 
so they did a pretty good job on her in the scrimmage and obviously they did a really good job on her last weekend and they did a really good job on Ashley Jones tonight too but they've also played elite scorers this year like Chloe Lamb from South Dakota um who they're, uh, still, they're still dancing as well. Yeah, for shot. sure. Yeah, still alive. Um, have a great shot to beat Michigan tomorrow night. Um, you know, Maddie Segrist, uh <laughs> I mean Anisa Morrow, who killed him in the second game, but didn't do so in the first game. So, like they've I mean, Lauren Park Lane, Andre Espinosa Hunter, uh Leilani Correa. Um gosh, Northern Iowa's got some studs. They're a really good team. Like Creighton, I mean, uh, look at Arkansas. Like, Creighton's played tough, um, versatile scorers, like players that are stretch fours or good dynamic guards. They've played those type of players all season. So there's a familiarity there from a defensive standpoint that they understand how to, you know, what it feels like to make a player like that inefficient and how it requires – you know, a team connectivity on the defensive end of the floor to do it. It's not just like one stopper. Um, And I think that just them having to go through that for the first three months of the year um, allows them to just call back, recall back on it and understand how what they have to do from a game planning standpoint. And then the, the part where they know if they don't execute it, they're going home they're hyper-focused on it. So that's what's led to, I think, them being able to make Clark and Jones inefficient. Yep. Well said. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, the question that Rob asked, though, is do they have to do that to Aaliyah Boston? <laughs> yeah. So that should lead us into our preview of South Carolina here as we wrap up this uh, post-game pod. But um, – I don't know if they have to do it to Aaliyah Boston. Um, Cause I think there's a, I think there exists do they, a, do they have a way to do that. What's his question? Shoot. I don't, I mean, Oh, is that what they said? Yeah. That's oh, rough. Oh yeah. Do they have a way to do that? against? Boston? I mean, I mean, she's six, five double, double machine <laughs> yeah. compared to like two scoring wings. Right. Um, and I, uh, base the answer is no, they don't have no. anybody that can match up with, with Boston. They're just going to have to hope that Ronsick and Molly can stretch the South Carolina defense and draw the bigs out of the paint and right. create threes for twos. Well, the, the, the thing is, like, I thought North Carolina did a really good job of, like, bracket coveraging Boston today. And I don't – South Carolina did not have an easy time getting the ball to her. But <laughs> – she was an animal on the offensive glass. That, that's the problem. So yeah. the problem that exists with Aaliyah Boston is that if you you go in saying, let's make someone else beat us, but if they get a shot on the rim, that's kind of like where she is. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it's 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 a weird kind of way that she can beat your defense. Um, she killed yeah, you need Carolina to double You need to double her with the ball in her hand and without the ball. <laughs> exactly. Right, right. Uh, I mean, she's the she's going to be the national player of the year, barring something absolutely shocking. So, I mean, I voted for her on my Naismith ballot, so I would be shocked if she doesn't get it. Um, she's been don't a, let the Hawkeye faithful hear that. But I, hey, I'm just trying to be honest. Like, uh, <laughs> I love Caitlin Clark. You know, I love Caitlin Clark, but Aaliyah Boston's different. Um, she's had an incredible season. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think I I, I honestly think it's going to come down to like if South Carolina's Creighton's going to make South Carolina's perimeter players hit shots. That's what they're going to do. Like they're not going to, they're, they're probably going to make it tough for Boston to catch the ball. But again, she's going to do work on the offensive glass. She's going to get easy ones. So I think Creighton's where Creighton's going to have to butter their bread on, on Sunday is like just hoping um, that, you know, Zaya cook and destiny Henderson and players like that don't get hot from three. Basically they're going to, they're going to take, take some risks um, and force some other players to beat them. So that's where it starts, I think, from a defensive standpoint. Yeah, because like if you're wondering if you haven't seen Aaliyah Boston play, she's about 16 and a half points a game, 12 boards a game, about four stocks a game, uh, 53% from the field, almost 77 from the line. So, um, yeah, she's in, like I said, she's 6'5 uh, and a monster on the glass. So 
Uh, at Creighton does not have anybody that can match up with her physically. What their post top out at what six two, six three, maybe. Um, so good luck with that. But like you said, you're just gonna have to. It's another those things where you're gonna have to hope for some lucky bounces on those misses. You, you have to hope that the, the the ball bounces on the opposite side of the rim of where Boston is posted up. Um, it, it's to upset a, a top seed. Obviously, they've already taken out what a two, three. Like they've been some really good teams, but South Carolina is on a, even another tier than what they've faced already. Yeah, uh, no, like yeah, South Carolina, as good as Iowa and Iowa State were, they're not on South Carolina's level. Like yeah. South Carolina has been the number one team in the country since the first day of the year. Like they were the preseason number one, and they never lost it. They've beaten Stanford, they've beaten UConn, uh, they've beaten Oregon, they ripped through the SEC, like. They've beaten their schedule this year is absurd. I mean, they're like when you look at their quad one, their quad one uh, record, I think it's like 20 and two. Like they've just ripped through <laughs> the elite of the elite this year. It's just absurd. Um, I've never seen a quad a resume like it. So it's it. I think it's. I'm trying to think. It might be the best team Creighton's played since uh, the the Stewie UConn team, yeah. Like in in 2015 or 2016, whichever year they played them, out in the store. So yeah, like it's on that level. Um, so you know, but the path to victory is there. Like I, as crazy as that sounds, like Missouri beat this team, and Missouri and Creighton kind of have some some similarities from an offensive stylistic standpoint that can create problems for a team like South Carolina that relies on its size and um, quickness. Like the thing with Creighton is they can spread the floor. They can shoot it. They can share it. Uh, I don't know how they're going to score inside on Sunday. I really don't. I I can't even imagine how that's going to, how that's going to happen, but uh, it, but they, but they've had back-to-back games where they've hit twenty threes this year. So, like I said, it's not out of the realm of things they've actually accomplished to get super hot from the three and 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 make it a game if they're trading threes for twos all day. You know what I mean? So, yep. um, there's a path there. It's not likely. It's not probable. They're going to be a massive underdog, but they have enough offensive firepower to. If they if they if they execute the defensive game plan of, you know, making South Carolina's, you know, making South Carolina take tough twos and 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 shoot threes with players that don't normally hit them, um, that's their gamble defensively. If they get lucky that that pays off, they have enough offensive fire firepower to offset Aaliyah Boston's um, effectiveness on the offensive glass and in the paint. Uh, with a three-point shooting. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a numbers game at the end of the day. So they'll play that game, and they'll take their chances that, that that's going to work out. But that's the plan. Like, that's the only really path to victory they have there, but it's a path they can execute, I think. Yeah. Uh, I think well said. Like, that's their – they're going to have to play their best game of the season. They're going to have to execute uh, at a level they haven't previously done, but they've stepped it up. They've done what it's taken. Uh, what they've had to do to, to get to this point. So let's go let it, let it fly. Uh, leave it all out there and see what happens. That's all you gotta do. Let it rip. You're in the elite eight. Now you've never been this far before and standing in, standing between you and a final four and the final four is the prohibitive favorite in the tournament. So this is what you're, you're basically playing the national championship game on Sunday because you're getting the best team in the field um, and they're in your way. So there's nothing to lose here. Just let it rip um, and see if it works. Anything you want to finish up on? Any last points you uh, that we didn't touch on? No, I think we've basically hit on everything that uh, I had in mind. Just, it's incredible. Uh, again, it's, it's su- such an incredible run. It's so cool. As someone who was there uh, covering the, the programs as, as a student, uh, I covered some women's basketball, obviously covered men covered volleyball just to see where Creighton's athletic Creighton athletics is at this point uh and just the continued rise and with it's all the same people that was there when I I was there the student journalist covering the program just it's incredible to see how far the the, the athletic program uh, department has come 
uh, since the move to the Big East and um, since I was a student, which is way too long now at this point. (laughs) I really do hope people are like savoring this and soaking it in because it doesn't always go like this, like especially on a department wide scale. You know what I mean? Like think just 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 take a pulse of the rest of the Big East. You know what I'm saying? Like how many how many teams have or how many programs or athletics programs like have um like a department-wide success rate like this right now i mean johnny torres won an NCAA tournament game this year with with the men's team um you know booth was hosting first weekend won a game uh you know matt got a team to the sweet 16 last year they won a big east title two years ago uh they took Kansas to the wire this year with a team that just like kept overcoming just absurd adversity. And then this year's Creighton team, like um, finally got some good injury luck and is putting together a March run for the ages. Like don't, don't like, don't get caught up looking at like tomorrow that you forget to celebrate today. Like don't do that. Cause like this team made the elite eight. And yeah, they have a lot of sophomores, and yeah, they're gonna potentially bring back a lot of the players on this team. But that doesn't mean like that they don't, you know, that they don't have injuries or they don't get a shit draw in next March and like bow out early. Like you don't know how that's gonna go, so you gotta embrace it and celebrate it for what it's worth when it happens. Um, so yeah, don't let this thing go by. Like appreciate what's going on right now because I don't know if there's ever been a department-wide like success rate at Creighton like this. So I hope people are at least savoring this because it doesn't, it's not going to be like this all the time. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's just hard to do. You know what I mean? Well said. And go Jays. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, yep, go Jays. Uh, But yeah, I'm so happy for Flan though, because like, yep. There just isn't uh there just isn't a better person. Like there just isn't. I, I, and I'm, that's the thing too. Like you talk about the success uh, of the athletic, but it's, it's those three coaches in particular, the ones that I like covered uh, Kirsten Berthaw Booth, uh, Greg McDermott and uh, Jim Flannery, like just an un- unbelievable like group of coaches and people and people that are just so much fun to, to, to cheer for and see their success. And um, it's Green's got some great leadership right now. 100%. All right, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. I, we appreciate your questions. Uh, Jacob, I appreciate your time and your insights. Um, so, yeah, the Jays are rolling on to the Elite Eight, take on South Carolina. They'll do that Sunday. I don't know if times have been announced yet. I'm sure that that'll come soon um, if it hasn't already. I have not seen it. Yeah, me either. But uh, Nothing on Rob Anderson's feed, so it must not have happened yet. <laughs> there you go. It's a good way to know. Uh so yeah, we appreciate you everybody for tuning in and listening to us. Um, maybe we'll talk to you again on Sunday. Who knows? Everybody have a good night. Have a good weekend. Jacob, how, what's that? What's the, what'd you just say? Go Jays. <laughs>